how it lights my path, how it guides my way. Right, the reading today is from uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied, which no one yet has ever sat on. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they'd seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when, upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. David, just pray for you. Father, we just thank you for the the years that David has spent with you, the walk that he's had with you, and all that he knows of your character. And Lord, we thank you for the time he spent preparing and looking into your word to, to hear for, from you for us today. And we ask that you will bless him as he shares all that you've given him. And open our hearts to receive um, the word that you have for us. Amen. Well, it's great to be here. Um, one of my favorite TV programs used to be, because it's finished now, <laughs> Inspector Morse. Um, this was about two police detectives um, 
uh, Chief Inspector Morse under Sergeant Lewis. Now, I guess most of you have seen this, but I'm just telling you a bit more detail for those who've never seen this program. Right. <clears throat> Morse is an Oxford-educated um, Chief Inspector, and um, when he was at Oxford, he studied the subject that they call greats, but it's basically Latin and Greek, and Greek philosophy and Greek plays and things like that, right? But he never graduated. Uh, even though his tutor was expecting him to get first-class honors, he didn't graduate because he fell in love with a woman. He thought he was going to marry her. You, have, you only pick this up later on. And, uh, and she rejected him, and he got so despondent that he opted out of his university course and eventually joined the police. Um, Lewis, on the other hand, is um, a diligent, hard-working, persistent, tireless cop who, um, for which nothing is too much trouble, and he goes on and on. And quite often, it's Lewis who um, does, gets the first crack in the case at that Morse is able to then work and, and do it. You probably know the, these stories. Um, and Morse's speech often contains um, uh, Greek phrases or, or Latin things or, or bits from Greek plays. And, um, and uh, Lewis has a riposte, which is almost like a mantra to him. <laughs> he keeps, and he always keeps saying, at my comprehensive school in Newcastle, they didn't teach Latin or Greek. <laughs> he never seems to be put, put down by Morse. He's, he's got his riposte and he'll answer them. And one day, Lewis unknowingly quotes from the, pro, uh, from the, um, the poem, If. The, the title of the poem is called If. And, and Lewis quotes this sentence if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same. And Morse looks at him and says, Rudyard Kipling, I think. And Lewis says, no, 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 no. It's written on the wall of the center course at Wimbledon, so when the players go out to play, they see this quote, and when they come back, they see the same quotation again. And uh, Morse looks at him and smiles very benevolently and says, you're right, Lewis, you're right. <laughs> and I've chosen this quote because we are in a scene that is a scene of triumph. In fact, three of the four Gospels call it the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, and the other just says it's the entry into Jerusalem. And, and this, is on, this takes place on a Sunday, and by the Friday, when Jesus is crucified, at the time, all the disciples, all those who loved Jesus, all the friends of Jesus, would have thought this was a complete disaster. Um, those of you who know the story, and most of you will know, it wasn't a disaster in the end, but it would have seemed like on the Friday night and on the Saturday, it would have seemed like a total disaster to their whole way of life. And uh, so that's why I've chosen that Lewis quote, that because this is a scene of triumph and disaster. And it's found... This, this triumphal ride in Jerusalem is found in all the four Gospels. 
So, now the four Gospels are not copies of one another, and um, <clears throat> you'll often find something in one or two Gospels, but it's not in the others. For instance, the birth or nativity stories of Jesus are only found in Matthew's and Luke's Gospels. Mark says nothing about it, and uh, nor does, well, John doesn't either, but I mean, it, it's a different introduction. And there are about, only about 10 or 12 things or stories that will be found written in all the four Gospels. All the four Gospels say that Jesus starts his ministry in Galilee, the northern area of um, Israel, and, and the area where, uh, not where he was born, but where Jesus grew up. The feeding of the 5,000 is found reported in all the four Gospels. But the feeding of the 4,000 is. It's in one Gospel or maybe in two Gospels. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem, this entry into Jerusalem, is reported separately in each of the four Gospels. Peter's denial of Jesus is reported in all the four Gospels. Pontius Pilate proclaiming the sentence of death on Jesus is recorded in all the four Gospels. Jesus is reported as having died on the cross, is reported in all the four Gospels. Jesus' burial is reported in all the four Gospels. And the tomb is visited, and the resurrection, of course, is, is reported in all the, and the tomb is visited by various people, is again reported in all the four Gospels. But in all the other stories, you know, all the different healings, the widow of names, um, and, and heaps of stories like that, you'll only find in one or two. So it's very interesting, well, it is interesting to me, is what stories do all the four Gospels include? And this triumphal entry into Jerusalem is one of them. The crucifixion took place on the Friday, and it was the time of the Jewish feast of um, Passover and unleavened bread. Now, in, in particularly in uh, Exodus, they mention the three great feasts, right? Uh, in Leviticus, they, they, they add another four more, right? Um, but the three important ones was Passover, um, first fruits, and the final harvest in gathering. And this is the first, the first thing. It takes place um, in Aprilish time, and it's a lunar feast, so it's dependent on the moon, and that's why Easter, which is the one feast we have based on um, the moon, is all to do with the Paschal moon after the equinox, after March the 31st, right? So, um, and um, if you read, if you get a Church of England prayer book, it will tell you how to calculate um, the date of Easter up to 200 or 300 years from now. <laughs> it's, it's one of these things that can be predicted. Most people haven't a clue when it's, oh, Easter's early or <laughs> Easter's early or Easter's late or something like that. But it's, it's all very predictable based on a, a lunar clock. Um, sorry, that was, I wasn't meaning to say that. <laughs> this feast of Passover was one of the three most important feasts, and it was mandatory for all Jews, all Israelis, all Hebrew people to come to Jerusalem, all men, 
Women could come as well, but it wasn't mandatory for women. Women could choose to come. And um, you have to remember Jerusalem is a walled city and actually is, is um, compared with other capitals of the world, is quite a small city. So Jerusalem currently has 875,000 people, right? But you compare that with London, which has a population of 8.9 million. You compare that with New York, which has a population of 8.3 million. You compare even with Paris, which has a population of 2.2 million. So it's a relatively small city. However, a census was taken in ancient times of how many lambs were slaughtered for the Passover. 256,000 lambs were slain for the Passover in this census. And each lamb had to be shared with a minimum of 10 people. It could be more than 10 people, but you couldn't. So that if you only had five in your family, you had to gather at least another five from another family and share it. Minimum of 10 people to, to a lamb, right? Could be 12, could be 15. So in Jerusalem at that time, when they were having this Passover with 256,000 lambs, it was something like 2.7 million people. So when Jesus was going down to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was extremely crowded, large numbers of people. And William Temple in his commentary says he thinks that there would have been, I loved his phrase, a lot of people from um, Galilee who would have come down and would be bivouacked outside the town, waiting to go in on the Passover. And so when the crowds gather, quite a lot of them will have been uh, people from Galilee who would have seen Jesus in his early ministry particularly, and his, he goes back to Galilee as well during his time, uh, things. And so there would have been a lot of people who would have known and have known his miracles, known his healings, known all the things that he said to various people. Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel clearly stale, state that the, the foal of a donkey was that one that nobody had ever ridden before. You know, you think, why did they say that? Now, I don't know if any of you are fans of American Westerns, but if you are, you'll always have these scenes where they um, try to break in horses, do you know? And they get, uh, they put them on these horses and they get to tossed off and then they come back and they sit on them until they break the horse. And I thought, I wonder if you have to do that with donkeys. I know absolutely nothing about donkeys. I've seen a few on Blackpool Beach and uh, I saw how badly treated they were in Afghanistan. But I thought, do you have to? So I thought I'd look it up and find out. What do you have to do with a donkey? And the book, I said, you can't just go and put someone on a donkey that's not been ridden for. You've got to train it and teach it to accept people. And they said, you mustn't ride a donkey until it's four years old, right? Um, it, it can't take the, the weight. So I don't know how old this, they don't say in this. But part of the miraculous thing of this ride is that Jesus gets on to an untrained donkey that no one's ever been in it on before, right? And can you imagine riding on an untrained donkey that no one's ever ridden before 
And what you've got are loud, noisy crowds, right? Tossing tree branches around you, throwing their clothes underneath you, and um, before and thing, making a noise and, and palm leaves and all these things. What do you think's most likely to make this donkey panic? You know? He's never been ridden before, and, and his first expedition, if you could call it that, is with thousands of people shouting and throwing things at you. Well, not at you, but throwing things before you and behind you and things like that. I think it's part of the miracle of Jesus that he rides this calmly into Jerusalem. I think that's what um, Mark and Luke are wanting you to understand. This is not a normal thing that Jesus is doing, you know? It's not that he's taken a donkey who's been used for many years and he sits and rides and is well experienced at all. It's some, a donkey that's never, ever been ridden before. And I think what they're saying to think is, do you get it? Do you understand how Jesus dealt with this, this dumb animal? Um, you probably know the, the, the poem by G.K. Chesterton about the, the donkey. Well, it used to be standard reading in my school six, 70 years ago. Um, and, uh, it's, um, and one of the lines in it is fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. And one of the lines is that um, Cheston says the donkey is the devil's living parody of all four-footed things. It's a good poem to read. It's, a, it's the sort of thing you, you used to read in about when you were 11 or 12 in school, in my day. Um, Matthew's um, story of the triumphal entry states that the entry was a fulfillment of prophecies in Isaiah chapter 62 and Zechariah 9.9. And uh, Debbie earlier today introduced those two to us. And one of them says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. In, in the actual Isaiah passage, when it's saying, it, it says, behold, your salvation comes. Um, Matthew puts it down as, behold, your king is coming to you. And the Zechariah passage is, is um, <clears throat> shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah wrote this about 520 BC. The Isaiah quotation is probably about 700 BC. And Matthew and is really, Matthew's the only one who actually quotes this particular quotation. He's trying to say to you, do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening? These things that were prophesied five to 700 years ago, Jesus is fulfilling. Grasp it, understand what's happening in this ride into Jerusalem. Also, all the other Gospels, I think, have a quotation from Psalm 118. This whole psalm is about thanksgiving for the Lord's saving goodness. And when they write about this, they're saying this 
they're not just quoting, they quote just the one verse, but they, they're really saying, do you look at the whole psalm? It's about how God has a saving power, how God is full of goodness, and grasp what I'm telling. So he's quoted one verse, or they've quoted one verse of it, but they're trying to get you to understand this is all part of what's God's promises, this fulfillment of it. Some of the Pharisees, seeing all this joy and jubilation in Jesus, speak out to Jesus saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Now it's interesting, it says that as Jesus approached, he saw the city and wept over it. And Jesus speaks out, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but thou they have been hidden from your eyes. And who has hidden them? It's not God. God wants everyone to really understand. It's the enemy of our souls who's hidden them. They couldn't see it. The devil worked in them so that they did not have true vision. I love the fact that in the Old Testament, quite often they called people seers, S-E-E-R. And a seer is someone who sees, really, isn't he? Someone who can look into the thing, future, and see what's happening. I like that, uh, that thing, being a seer. And Jesus is saying, for days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. It's um, a very terrible forecast of what's going to happen to them. But it was true. Within 40 years, the Romans came in and absolutely ravaged the whole of the city of Jerusalem. And I read in one commentary that after the Romans had done this, a plowman with a horse could walk across the whole of the city and encounter no obstacles. When Jesus says not one stone will stand upon another, he's talking about literally what was going to happen to them. And I mean, Jesus, I think, is recorded as, as having wept only twice, I think, isn't it? One when he's at the grave of Lazarus and, and he's wept. And here he's we- weeping for what's going to happen to these people if they did but know it, because they have rejected God. Jesus weeps today for each individual who rejects him. As an individual, if you reject Jesus and don't follow him, you don't face um, being killed like the, the Jews at that time were by the Romans coming in. You face an eternal danger. And I think if, if, if I as a Christian took that more seriously, I would be much more evangelistic. And the whole thing about evangelism is because people who don't have Jesus fully and are not following him completely are in grave danger. They face an eternal destiny that is without Jesus. And that, just like the Jews, if they'd really known this was all going to happen, they'd have taken precautions 
we in our lives need to take precautions. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus asks each of us to be totally committed to him. There are many wonderful um, features that are allied when you follow Jesus. A close relationship with him, being able to pray, know his response, friendship with other believers, encouragement in all situations, the joy of worship, people who help you when you face trials, people who care for you when you're weak or sick, and people who share burdens with you. When these are allied to a commitment to Jesus, they are what an amazing, wonderful thing. I've had the fortune in my work to work in 50 different countries. Um, and by working, I mean someone's paid me to go and do engineering work in 50 countries. Um, and <clears throat> it is absolutely amazing um, going as a Christian into these places to see the response you get. When we went to Mongolia, Anne and I found a group of Christians who were an incredible support to us. Um, when I went into Kuwait and I went into the, the office of the, uh, the uh, um, office manager, I'd just come into Kuwait and I said, are there any churches here in Kuwait? And he said, yes, yes, there are, there's one who does this sort of thing. And five minutes later, an Indian accountant came into my room. He said, I've been longing for years to hear someone ask that question. And he, he then said to me, would you like to come and speak at our church? <laughs> and uh, I thought he meant just introduce. But when I later asked him, he said, oh, at least an hour. You must speak for me. <laughs> um, when I was in uh, Oman, I met Christians who, who helped me. When I was in Egypt, I, I had... When you follow Jesus, there's an incredible link, um, uh, benefits with following Jesus. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to say, you know, you go for the benefits because, um, yeah, you can... I remember, sorry, this is... I was in Jeddah. That was the one place I didn't find uh, Christians. It's the Jer Jeddah is of, of all Saudi Arabia, or it certainly used to be the, the most strictly Islamic city. And um, I was on my own doing a job there. And um, you, <clears throat> you used to... Um, you, you couldn't go into any restaurant where there were families if you were a man on your own. You had to go into a special restaurant where men on their own went. Do you understand what I mean? You weren't allowed ever to mix with women in your thing. And um, as I was on my own, I, I used to take my New Testament in and I'd have it on the table. And while they served me my meal, I'd be reading the New Testament. And my waiter was a Filipino. And uh, after a few minutes, he came up to me and he said, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and I said, Yes, I think I do understand it. It's like the Philip and the Ethiopian uh, <laughs> guy. And I said, yes, I think I, I do understand it. And then he, he was very open with me, and he told me, we have a fellowship. Um, it's exclusive. You, you've got no reason. <laughs> and, uh, and we pray, and we read the word, and uh, we follow Jesus. And 
And, I, and it was only through me, just me sitting on my own reading a New Testament that he was willing to be open. But highly dangerous for what they were doing in, in Saudi Arabia because they would have all been thrown out if it was found that they were meeting as Christians. If you, you are committed to Jesus, it is a, a tremendous blessing to you. But if you go for the blessings without the commitment, and it's very easy for people to come into a church and think, oh, I like the fellowship, I like the fact that people are kind, that people are, are good to you, and that sort of thing. But if you are going for the benefits without Jesus, you need to be really beware. It's the, when the benefits come as a, and, and you don't mind if you don't get the benefits, where all that's important to you is you want to follow Jesus and you want to be with people who do follow Jesus, that's a terrific thing. And so Jesus weeps over those who don't commit their lives to him, for whom that is the most important thing in their life, is how do I respond to Jesus? And I, I promise you, if you do that, and you, you will encounter enormous friends. You may encounter enormous persecution. Like these um, Filipinos would have in, in Saudi Arabia if they'd let it know that they were Christians. If you can, in, I mean, and in Afghanistan. Um, I mean, I can remember we were there um, once, and a group of... Iranians came in to speak to the um, Afghans, Christians, and uh, Anne and I were invited amongst a few other things. And um, the Iranians were telling us some of the stories that they were encountering and the pressures and things like that. And it made you actually feel very sick. And, and, and they said to the, um, the Afghans, when they were talking to them about their Bible studies, he said, you're not having Bible studies, you're just having tea parties when you talk a bit. <laughs> and, and at the end of this, this um, Iranian chap, I was just sitting there, he said, David, would you pray for us? And I, I almost felt too ashamed to pray. You know, I, I thought, when I hear what you're going through in Iran, the, the suffering, the persecution, the dangers, and you ask me to pray for you, um, I want you to be praying for me. And... Uh, I, 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 it was just a response that came up in me. I, I couldn't bear to think that what they were going through and how easy my life is in normal in following Jesus with the thing. Jesus calls each of us to a total commitment. Don't ever go for the benefits without the commitment. Go for the commitment and there will be Benefits. Now, the benefits might be persecution, as it is uh, in many, many countries. We, um, we were there in Afghanistan when our, our team of Afghan Christians had gone away to Pakistan, had a wonderful time. And um, when they came back, a program appeared on television, which was saying on the Afghan television, if you know any Christians, if you report them, we will deal with it. And they, they went into hiding. They went into all sorts of persecution. Some of them went into prison. They, I mean, we as expatriates were guarded against that. 
But they, that was the price they paid. And the price of following Jesus completely may in certain countries be imprisonment and life or death. But it's still worth it. And I just want to, perhaps I want to just finish by wanting to encourage you. Don't ever not commit yourself to following Jesus. Don't go for the good things without the core, without the key. And I would love to pray with you and others, Shirley, Debbie, Martin, anyone, whoever, would love to pray for you. If you want to actually commit that you want to follow Jesus and then Jesus will, won't be weeping over you, there'll be tears of joy. If there are tears, it'll be joy that this my son who was lost is found. This my daughter who was lost is found. Amen. Thank you, Shreya. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I abide in you. Let your living